In this episode, we tackle discipleship. If you are interested in hearing more about what Park Hills is doing or the things that we've got going, go to parkhillschurch.com or the Park Hills Church app. So I want to do a multi-part set of episodes just dealing with this concept of discipleship, something that we talk about a lot at church, but I don't know that anybody really knows what it is. Is that fair? Uh, There's an interesting guy who writes on discipleship who's like, write down your definition of discipleship. Right. And I think lots of people might think they know what it is or have a good concept. Yeah. But if you asked 100 people to write that down, they'd have 100 different answers. That's my point. There you go. Yeah. I liked it a lot. And the truth is, when we talk the word discipleship, everybody sort of thinks they're doing it. And then if I ask them, who are you discipling, they stare at me blankly. And typically, if you can't name it, it's not happening. So that makes me a little concerned. So there's a lot of ways we could go with this, but I thought we'd start this episode here, sort of a discipleship primer, like an opening to it. And I just want to talk about Mark specifically, because that's the book we're teaching through right now, and uh, you know we'll deal with this differently when we hit Matthew in a couple of years. But at the same time, I want to I want to look at what Jesus is doing with discipleship. Are there things we can learn? Are there things maybe would would change our expectations of what he's doing? And so, I think it's interesting. And so I'll just start in here, Alex, and then you jump in and and mm-hmm. you know push back or whatever you want to do. When I think about Jesus' ministry, we have very little on his preparation for ministry. He is born. We have that in Luke 1. You know, we have Joseph having some experiences in Matthew. And then we have just a brief presentation of Jesus in the temple in Luke 2. The Magi come and visit him in, in Matthew 2. We know that they go to Egypt. Herod has a bunch of kids killed. And then we find out that Jesus is in the temple at the age of 12. And then there's nothing. Right. We have no idea from 12 until Luke says, right about Jesus' 30th year, he starts a public ministry. So that is actually where Mark picks up. Mark doesn't deal with the early part at all. Mark just jumps right in in chapter 1 and says, there's a guy named John the Baptist who came and started preaching the message. And you're going, whoa, 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 what's going on? And then he talks a little bit about Jesus' baptism, his temptation, and then we're off to the races. I mean, that's pretty much it for Mark as far as the introduction goes. But if you start to look at Luke and Matthew and then a little bit in John, it would have taken Jesus maybe six months between John's beginning of his ministry and Jesus' baptism to Jesus actually beginning his Galilean ministry uh, in Mark 1. Sorry, so how, how many months did you about say? About six months. Six months, okay. So I'm just, just reading just, Luke 2, right? Yeah, but just that period of time alone would have been six months, at least, if not more. And that, that, I think, stuns a lot of people. I think we think he gets baptized, the heavens open, and Jesus is off to the races. Right. No. If you think about it, just logistically speaking, Andrew has to rush back to Peter and say, He's not even Peter yet. He's just Simon and say, I think we found the Messiah. 
who knows how long that would have been. Did, did Andrew stick with John the Baptist for a while and learn from him about what John the Baptist heard or saw? You know, it, it's not until quite later that Jesus walks by and John says, that's the guy we're looking for, you know? So we don't even know fully what's going on there. And The Chosen deals with this in their first couple episodes, right? This idea that Jesus is sort of just, you know, they have him carpentry-ing. Uh, right. You know, he's building things in the woods and the kids are talking to him. That's all fine and well and good. I don't know how much he worked with wood as much as he might have worked with stone or other things. But yeah, it's probably a bad translation of that word. But we're just picking a fight that we don't need to pick necessarily. Yeah. But Jesus is working. He's doing things and possibly preaching on the Sabbath, you know, going into a synagogue. Maybe someone's saying, oh, you have an interesting take on this, and he would stand up and teach. But there's a there's a little bit of a following gather, or a little bit of a, yeah, a following gathering, but there's not a ton going on for that first six months. Then, even after that, we don't actually have him calling the disciples for a good few months after that. So he begins to preach in Galilee and do his thing, but it says in Luke fourteen or Luke four fourteen that he goes into all of the synagogues in Galilee. Mm-hmm. Well, there's thirty something towns that are considered Galilee. So if he preached in all of them, they're only preaching on the weekends. That's thirty five weeks. That's another half a year, a little right. more. Right. So there's something interesting going on there that it, it could have been almost a full year before Jesus says to the disciples, "Come follow me." And I think a lot of people think it's just instantaneous. It's the very first thing that happens. Yeah, I think uh, not really until I had seen the Chosen TV show uh, had I really thought about this and noticed. Yeah, I kind of just thought like, okay, Jesus decides to do his ministry. He's going to get baptized. So he gets baptized. Okay, now we've begun. Now put your team together. Okay, got the 12 guys. That'd be the first thing I'd do because anything I do, I got to put my team together. And, you know, think of it like a baseball team. Like, you're not going to play any games till your whole team's together. Right. So bring your 12 guys. Okay, you got them. You plus your 12. Go. Ready, set, go. But that's not really what happened. Like, No. Kind of picked them up here and there. Yeah. Some some of them one by one. Some mm-hmm. of them experienced some things while others weren't quite on the team yet. And there's a lot of women involved Yeah. in it that you don't even think about. Well, and a lot more people involved. You're like, oh, Jesus, was, Jesus and his 12 did everything. No, like a lot of people followed Jesus. Yeah. And, and, and the other thing I didn't think about too was, or maybe this one I had thought about, Jesus probably didn't go nonstop for three years until his death. Right. There were definitely times when he's like, all right, uh, we're done. Go back to your homes, do your thing for a little bit. Mm -hmm. Meet me at this place at this time. We'll start up again. Yeah. Which I think we don't think about, especially in American culture, because we like to just hit the ground running and push, 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 push. But I would have loved to have learned more of the rhythm of Jesus and how this works, right? We have a couple of different accounts in Mark even early on where Jesus calls the 12 and says, hey, you just did this thing. Let's go get away together. Now, they're not able to do so because a bunch of people show up, but he's clearly working rest into their work. He's he's setting a different example for them. And that's something that I don't think we think about a lot in, in modern Christianity, especially in the Western world. Mm-hmm. So all that to say, uh, you know, the first six months to two years of Jesus's ministry are not what we expect them to be. And I think what that tells me is there is a value. This is one of the things for discipleship that I I try to teach people when they're first, you know, stepping into the, the world of Christianity. There is value in actually knowing what you're talking about and being capable of actually doing the job that you've been called to do before being released just to do it. 
So there have been individuals who come to Christ and are sort of sent into the, the, the fray right away, right? Get in the battle. The battle's the Lord's. We can do this. I don't disagree with you, but there is a value in actually spending some time with the Savior, learning from him before being marked by somebody to say, go do this thing, which I think Paul is, is setting that tone for us as well as he's not just calling people elders instantaneously. He's giving them some time to figure out what they're supposed to do, what they're supposed to think, and then, okay, you got it. Now you can run, be an elder. Yeah. Yeah. How do you balance that with like, well, the Holy Spirit does the work. So, you know, God doesn't call the prepared. He prepares the called, like all those types of, that's not Uh, a quote from the Bible. I'm just. uh, Yeah. And I I love that quote, even though it's not from the Bible, but I also don't disagree with the quote. Let, Let me ask it to you this way. How long have you followed Jesus at this point? Yeah, like 38 something years. Right. So do you feel completely prepared in every way uh, at this point? <laughs> uh, no. I, I think I've always taken yeah. that, that, that little statement. I, I get what people are saying. Get in, the, get in the game. I want you to get in the game. There, but there's a lot of ways to do it. So, for example, we've talked about discipleship here. We need to create a bit of a pathway that gives people access to wading into ministry, just the first steps of it, rather than full bore. Right, so if someone has just come to Christ, they probably shouldn't be teaching a wana or youth group yet. Right, but you can be a a life group apprentice. Right, you could be someone who's stepping in to learn from a life group leader as to how to do this better, and it might take six months or a year or a year and a half. And you know, we start with just sort of giving you a chance to see what we do, and then we give you the reins a little bit, but we're right there to kind of protect things, and then we let you run. And then if you've got it and you're nailing it, then great, go start another group. Let's do it. And even for youth leaders, you know, there, there are entry-level positions for youth ministry or children's ministry. That's not to say that they aren't important. That's not to say that they aren't amazing, because I don't think the disciples ever didn't have an important, didn't lack a, an important assignment from Jesus. But some of their early assignments might have just been, be back here Friday before the Sabbath. You know, you need to be yeah. here by lunchtime on Friday so we can get to Nazareth in time. And then we'll do the sh- you know we'll do Shabbat together in Nazareth, and I'll teach Saturday night. And you'll listen to this message. I think we we force it and try to make it more than it needs to be. Yes, Jesus prepares the unprepared and gives us what we need. At the same time, there is some wisdom in let's let's ease into this and figure out how to do it well. Now, if you're 30 years in ministry, and all you've ever done is pass out bulletins on a Sunday morning. I don't know that you're being used for the kingdom yet. You know, mm-hmm. maybe it's time to jump into the game and find a different spot. You know, still pass out the bulletins yeah. on Sunday, but maybe, just maybe, be a life group apprentice or jump in and be a youth leader or whatever. Yeah, or train someone else to Absolutely. pass out bulletins. and It's really hard. Yeah. We don't even pass out bulletins here. <laughs> I know, I know so. we don't. I know we don't. So there you go. So what yeah. are your thoughts on that? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, discipleship is is growth, and it's not linear. Like we have to rem- remind ourselves of that, especially when we see discipleship in Scripture and in our own lives. Like, these disciples are, uh, sometimes they are, like, great examples to us, but sometimes they are, uh, to use a literary term, they're the foils for Jesus. They're not antagonists yeah. for Jesus. They're not opposing him. That's mostly, like, the Pharisees and every other religious leader. Uh, but they serve kind of as the foil. Like Jesus gets it, of course, and, but the fair, um, the disciples are like, they don't get it. Right. And they don't get it over and over and over again. And they make Jesus look really good because 
they look really bad because Jesus makes them look really bad. And, you know, we were just talking about um, the feeding episodes, and you've got two, in, in our Bibles, we read them two chapters apart, two feeding episodes, he feeds 5,000 by mm-hmm. multiplying all this food. And the disciples are like, ah, you know, where are we going to get enough food to feed these guys? And Jesus just makes it. <clears throat> two chapters later, Jesus has 4,000 people, and they're like, we don't have enough bread. Right. And Jesus is like, I could just see him being like, again, guys, I, I just did this. <laughs> I just did this. I told you to feed them. Why didn't one of you say, yeah, you're right, Jesus, let's feed them. Let's do it just like you did last time. Instead, <laughs> they were all like, oh, Jesus, I don't know. Where are we going to get food for all these people? Um. Yeah, so sometimes sometimes they're great. Sometimes they do exactly what they're supposed to do, and sometimes they're like, yeah, you're the Christ. And then then the next passage, they're like, Jesus, like, get behind me, Satan. Yeah. Well, and, and what's interesting, too, about even the feedings, let's let's give them a benefit of a doubt here. It might have been three months, four, sure. four yeah. months, five months between the two. And how many other times has Jesus not asked them to feed a group yeah. of people? So sure, we sort of lull back into normal patterns, and even that's part of what I'm advocating for in giving a disciple a chance to grow and develop. I don't think they ever asked that question again after the feeding of the 4,000. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, because that, that's part of the thing, too. Like, you know, you talked about why do we read it this way. Our Western mindset's part of that. But I think another part is, like, we don't we don't have a biography of Jesus' life. Right. The, 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 the Gospels are not like a, and then this happened, and then this right. happened, and then this happened, and then, you know, they are the greatest hits of what Jesus was trying to teach. From the perspective of the writer. Yeah, that that we need to know and understand today to know and understand who Jesus is, like, right? Revelation. We believe in this idea that God had something specific he wanted to right. communicate to us, and he communicated that to us through the Word and his Word, right? The Word mm-hmm. being Jesus, his Word being the Bible. So that's God's communication to us, those two big primary ways that he communicates. Uh, but because of that, some of these, like in Mark, you might get two chapters that all happen in the same day. And then this happened, and immediately right. and immediately, and by sundown, this happened. Right. We could also get two chapters that are two weeks apart, two months, maybe even a year apart. That's possible. And we have no idea of the timeline. Right. All we know is when we get to Mark chapter 11, we're within a couple of weeks of his death, and every one of the Gospels, the last quarter of the entire book, is one week. Right. So they're all ramping up really fast to get to this last piece, and then it slows down drastically. Yeah, isn't isn't Mark eight like within a month of yes. crucifixion? Most likely. So you, Mark sixteen chapters. So you have eight chapters that are like basically three weeks, somewhere around there, two three weeks. Yeah. And then the other eight yeah. chapters are <clears throat> the entire other three years of his ministry. Yeah. And and that also kind of reminds me too that like. Jesus was probably not, like, foot on the gas the entire right. time of his ministry on earth, at least not with the disciples, right? So the disciples are with him. But I'm sure there were times in, you know, where they might do something for a couple of weeks, maybe even a month, and then Jesus is like, all right, everybody go home, meet me here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so when you look at, you know, how did the disciples grow? How did they go back and forth? Like, you got to think these guys are, are wrestling and processing through all this stuff sure. all the time. Like, Jesus just, you know, cast a demon out of a demoniac. And then they all got to go home and go back to their daily lives and do whatever they're doing and wait for their next mission or wait for the next thing. Like, yeah. And how do I put words on what I just saw? I can't, I can't fathom that. And now I've got to go sit and fish. Yeah. 
and while I'm fishing, I'm going to think about what I just saw and go, I don't know what to make of this. This yeah. is insane. And that's why it's not so crazy to me at the end of John, right? Yes, John, where the disciples go back to fishing after Jesus right. dies. Sometimes I've heard sermons like, isn't that crazy? Like after all they've experienced, where do they go? They're right back to where they started. Like, oh, I don't know that they were right back to where they started because I think they were fishing all throughout Jesus' ministry. Right. Do some mission, do some work, go back home, fish, feed your family, make some money, mm-hmm. support yourself. Then Jesus says, meet me here. Then you're back there. Yeah. Then you're fishing again. Yeah. I mean, some have speculated. I know the chosen deals with the miraculous catch of fish for Peter to pay off Peter's debts. That's one way of looking at that. The other thing that I've heard some say is that possibly financed the mission for six months or a year. You know, mm-hmm. so this massive catch of fish, Jesus takes that money and says, okay, let's let's go do these things. But back to your question about, you know, Mark 8, Caesarea Philippi seems to be within a month of, month and a half of the yeah. crucifixion. So that's the end of 8. Um, there's some interesting things with that that we'll get to in a later podcast. If if the dating on that is accurate, which I, I, I'm pretty sure that some of the scholarship that's been done is accurate, uh, Jesus is in Caesarea Philippi in a very interesting time frame and then shows them who he is and then heads down to Jerusalem. But within six weeks, he's on the cross. Yeah. So if you think about that, yeah, Mark 8, you know, is a very quick period of time from 8 to 16, whereas the rest of the book, two and a half years. Yeah. And then if you look at Luke, Luke does a huge chunk in the first three chapters of Jesus's early years. We have most, the most that we have about his early years is in Luke, first three chapters. And then all of a sudden, you know, what is it, 18 or 19 moves to Jerusalem. So, uh, because 19 is Zacchaeus, that's the last turn before you hit, you hit Jerusalem. Right. So again, the last quarter of the book. So the first third, you know, the first little sixth of the book is the early years. The last third to a quarter of the book is the crucifixion and then all of the stories all the amazing things that we we think about with jesus all happen within those middle 18 chapters in luke or in this case the first eight chapters of mark and we're supposed to remember oh this takes place over three whole years so it is just the hits yeah and i think sometimes we as disciples and this is one of the things i encourage people with discipleship as well is sometimes we think we're messing up drastically because we're not having amazing things happen in our life all the time the fact is the Bible is the hits. It, it always was. It always will be. So Daniel, you know, 12 chapters, but that guy lived 120 years. You know, yeah. David, 100, what, 110 years, and we've got just a few chapters of, da- of, of David's life. There's a lot of days where David woke up and was just faithful to the Lord. Yeah. There's a lot of days where he woke up and just wondered if someone was going to kill him and Wandered around the palace. There were days where he thought, man, I've got it really good. Look at how amazing I am. And there's days where he did something dumb, and then we put that in the Bible. you know. Uh, but a lot of our life, I think, we think because I'm not hitting the mountain peak every single week that we're missing it. And, and what our encouragement to you here as we open up this discipleship question is, Jesus' ministry didn't start as fast as you think it did. Secondly, there's a lot of space in there for a lot of learning, a lot of opportunities, and the 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 day-to-day life of the disciples probably didn't look that much different than us. And yet we want to be rock stars all the time. The fact is God is probably more honored in your faithfulness rather than the amazing things that you have a chance to do. Yeah. A great quote I heard actually from my brother is that true discipleship is mundane, 
right? It's in the day-to-day. It's in the day-after-day, night-after-night, not just hitting those mountaintops, but in the mundane moments, the normal, average, everyday moments of our life. That's when, that's when we're growing as disciples. That's when we're being disciples. It's not just look for mountaintop experiences. So do it in the mundane too. Your brother's a wise man. I like that quote.